Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today, we're going to be talking about data. Now, it seems to me that data, automation, artificial intelligence, or AI, machine learning are all the buzzwords that everybody is throwing around today. And it seems that every client I talk to has some version of going digital that's on their agenda, or so it seems. Now, I think most leaders see this notion of the data and the automation and machine learning as to the key trends for the future. And whether the focus is on the data science or any of those, the messages I think are highly relevant for everybody. So today, we're going to do a little bit of that future-looking thing, and we're going to talk to a renowned expert about the pitfalls, about how to avoid them, and ultimately what it takes to be successful in this quote-unquote, digital world. So my guest today is Dr. Ava Marie Muller-Stuhler, who's currently the chief data scientist for IBM in Middle East and Africa. She also leads the Center of Excellence for Data Science, and she implements sustainable, large-scale data science and AI projects globally. Now, Eva is Eva Maria is a trusted advisor to governments on change management through AI or artificial intelligence and machine learning. She works across multiple industries as well, including oil and gas, energy, fast-moving consumer goods, healthcare, and financial sectors. And she's pioneered a lot of successful engagements with top-tier organizations that drive actionable data-driven excellence. She's also a successful investor and consultant and mentor to startup companies. I should say that she's a renowned mathematician with a passion for the subject, and she's been an international conference speaker trying to influence and disrupt industries for a long time. She's authored a number of papers, more than I can possibly list here, and she's a member of a variety of mathematical societies. I'll just name one, Women in Machine Learning. So, Ava Marie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rhonda. I'm really looking forward to our next talk. I want to talk about my absolute passion, machine learning and data science, especially with an expert and a fellow mathematician like you. <laughs> very few people know that about me, that my undergraduate degree is in mathematics. So in some part of my life, I count myself as a mathematician. Um, I think most people would see me more as a psychologist than the mathematician. I think they're kind of related, but that's another topic. Um, I want to start with, you know, you say you're passionate, I know you're passionate about mathematics, but why is this topic about data science so important to you? I think um, data science is a way to find a way to explain the world we're living in, to use math, to actually apply math, to understand the patterns, the forecasting, and um, get a hang of what is really going on. The world around us is often so complex. There are so many variables influencing things that it's hard to understand the true drivers. So we can use math to um, apply with technology, with computer science, to then build forecasting models, to build um, optimal decision models, and um, or schedule limited resources. So data science is really about making better decisions, making faster decisions, making fewer decisions. 
And um, math has always been my passion. For me, math is like um, meditation. And I do math and I think I calm down. And then um, coding is, is a way of playing around with it for me. And um, combining it, then you suddenly end up in data science and you find a way to apply it around every corner. I, the two things in that that you said that make me smile, one is that data science is about making better, meaning more accurate decisions, faster decisions, and you said fewer decisions. Why fewer? I think it gives you a chance to uh, optimize a lot of processes, to to focus on what is really going on. Um, I, when I want to go to work in the morning, I don't have to really think about what is the weather like, did I miss the bus or whatever. I can just look at my phone and say, okay, somebody already calculated the optimal way. This is the fastest way for me to go from A to B. And I don't really have to take the decision anymore. And that applies for many different business decisions as well. I can just say in a hospital, scheduling the doctors and nurses, I can automize that. And it's far easier to um, take every single favorite this nurse wants to work early in the morning, this one late in the evening, this one only half time. And all of these complex factors that might influence the scheduling can then be automated. So, okay, so we're looking at ways to automate decisions that we already sort of know how to predict. Is that a fair way? So that as an individual or as a leader, I'm actually having to make fewer choices. They're being made for me. Did I do that a decent job? Exactly, yeah. So um, even for a restaurant, planning how many customers are coming, how much food do I need to stock, and so on. You can try and um, have a more accurate algorithm that you don't have so much waste. And, And that makes life a little bit more easy. You can, um, you might be able to increase your revenue because you don't run out of stock. You can manage your costs and yeah. manage your risk with it. All right. Makes a ton of sense to me. This is, so you said that um, data science is about making better, faster, and fewer decisions. But you also said math is like meditation. Now, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this don't feel that they were meditating when they were in school doing mathematics. <laughs> That makes me smile. Math is like meditation. I think that's a fabulous one. All right, let's shift gears. I want to talk about language because I think people use this in without really quite understanding what they're saying as if everything is all the same thing. So data, AI, or artificial intelligence, machine learning, is there an easier way to describe all these different approaches? So um, data is basically every single artifact that we can that we leave behind. It could be your GPS location. It could be your birth certificate. It could be your fingerprint. It could be your social media comments and pictures, um, your phone usage, what your car is doing, the room temperature. All, all of these single points could be a datum and could be used and, um, to um, process things. I I think the easiest way to describe data science um, for me is always saying it's, it's a bit like cooking. When when I cook, the first thing I have to understand is why am I cooking? Do I just want a quick snack, or do I have friends coming over for dinner and I want a big meal, or a friend's birthday cake? And that is the thing with data science. Ask yourself why are you doing data science? Um, what is the outcome that you want to to achieve? 
And then um, the data would be your ingredients. So if you don't have anything to cook with, you don't have any data, you can't forecast what's going to happen. And um, and you need good data. So you look in your, to your fridge and your shelf and different places, and that's what you work with. You then prepare it. You can put it in the microwave, in your oven, which would then be the different algorithms to use. And in the end, you would like to serve the meal. And you have to serve it in a way that the person is coming over um, for dinner, for example, likes to eat it, that they can understand it, that, um, and it's not a complete mess. Okay. Um, I I also would like to explain like the difference between ma- machine learning and AI because AI is a massive buzzword at the moment, and um, I always joke and said, oh, um, if you're a mathematician or if you're in philo- philosophy, nothing is AI, and if you're um, in marketing or sales, everything is AI, <laughs> and um, we. We used to, in the past, stick to the definition and saying, I, I is machines and systems that can learn, reason, or interact. And um, the, the learn bit in it is, for me, um, what is really important. The, um, because learning means, over the time, they improve their accuracy. They, for example, they improve their prediction and their error. And that is what we call machine learning. So um, often people think that um, AI is the bigger thing and machine learning is only a subset of it, but it actually is the other way around. Machine learning is the bigger thing and AI is a subset. Okay. Can you, so lots of people talk about machine learning and I remember studying some basic principles of machine learning back when I was doing mathematics more seriously. But for people who've never looked at that, can you describe what this machine learning thing is about? I mean, can can you give us a simple analogy for it? So um, it could be, for example, um, in a restaurant, you want to forecast how many people are coming tomorrow for um, in the evening between six and ten p.m. and what are they going to eat? So we can better stock what we are. Um, um, the ingredients and the food you're going to have. And you, we would end up building a model that forecasts, depending on weather information, for example, footfall, what is it coming on TV, um, are there any special events, is it Christmas time or not, uh, to, to understand, okay, tomorrow um, we expect at least 250 people coming to our restaurant. And then we realize, Actually, no, for some reason, we only had 100 people. And the machine over time looked at the error and tries to pick up why and the driver of the forecasting and saying, okay, uh, we were inaccurate there, we looked at the error, we improved it. And the machine gets every single iteration, it learns and gets better. Okay. So that in the end, we can reduce it and we can have um, a pretty accurate um measurement of who's actually going to come. Okay. And is this a thing that you can then look into how the machine is learning and build a better model at the end of the day? Is that possible? So it it depends. We we understand how the machine is learning. We understand how the machine is measuring the error. Depending on how much data preparation we we do, we are sometimes not 100% clear and it is actually a big research topic to understand what is the influence of different variables. So if we use, um, depending on the algorithms and depending on the preparation of the variables, 
it can be that you end up with a black box system and that the machine actually derives a decision in a very complicated way that is not easily to explain this. This is the main factor, this is the second factor, and this is the third factor. Okay. Okay. And and that is actually a big risk. That's why um, AI ethics is such an important topic. Because if I get turned down for a loan, I want to know why. And yeah. if your bank just says, sorry, we don't know, the machine decided, that's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see people trying to make longer-term decisions about where we invest resources, for example, in a business, want to know a little bit more about the pre- what's driving the prediction. Even if it's an accurate prediction, it would be helpful to know some more insight data. I also know how difficult that could be. All right, so... I'm going to be a bit of take a bit of a cynic role, which is not usually my position, but I want to do it on this case because I'm seeing so many people talk about this data and machine learning as if it's going to be the great next new thing. And many of them are not yet generating anything that I actually believe is going to be the great new thing. So are there success stories? Can you give me an example? Um, ex- yes, um, success stories there are more and more. We have seen um, Watson, um, IBM Watson winning Jeopardy. We have um, our spam filters have massively improved over the past. A lot of the predictions, store performance, um, faster commutes, and so on, has where um, we actually touch it every day, and it makes our life easier. But I do have to agree with you. Um, we often also see it as a massive waste of resources. We like to say it makes you faster, better, and fewer decisions. It increases your revenue. It decreases your cost. But that is only when you do it right. And when you do it wrong, you'll have the opposite effect. And so there is always a high risk of just wasting time, money, and effort in a company and um, not getting to the outcome that you want. So we see both sides. Yeah. So what do we need to be thinking about to make sure, because you said if you do it right, it's going to really pay off. You're going to increase your revenue and you're going to decrease your cost. But if we don't do it correctly, if we make mistakes in our assumptions or we don't follow the right processes or we can spend a ton of money with no results. So what is it we need to be sure we're doing right or rather what do we avoid doing wrongly? Um, for me, the most important thing is, um, and that's where often companies already fail, is they start without a plan. They they think, okay, I'll give it a try. I hire some junior who's good in Python, and I put him in the IT department. Actually, I was looking for a unicorn who could do everything, but I couldn't find it. This um, one is good enough, and expect some magic to happen. And that is... You wouldn't build a marketing or any other department like that, and that is a recipe for failure. So the best way to start is a clear strategy. Look at your company, where you are now, where do you want to go, and how do you get there? Make sure you you, you build a clear data science strategy that is aligned with your corporate value, with your corporate strategy, and with your corporate KPIs. And um, you're not there anymore where we play around with things. You have to be really serious about it. And I think that's where companies are hesitating because to be serious about it actually means I have to invest in people. I have to invest in technology. I have to change my processes. And all of that costs time and money. And so it's a bit, if, you're, if you have no experience in it, 
it might seem like a big step, and it is a corporate um, transformation that is going on. Right. So on this notion of strategy, um, where I mean, so I, I, if I'm not worked on it, on this sort of data science or machine learning, then I don't want to just go trying to transform everything because we're going to spend a ton of money and not know what we're doing. But are there places to begin to look that make more sense than others? Uh, yes. So I've, what I see working best is to understand how much they want to do on the innovation research side and how much is actually pure um, corporate performance improvement. Where do I have my biggest chunk of revenue? Where do I think I could be better? Where can I manage my costs? And then it's often processes that are repetitive, that are very complex, where um, I can optimize big, big things of it. And the way I like to start is, is pretty much getting the business involved, always getting the business involved. The problem has to come from, from the business. And the question has to be, okay, where do you see it? Where, where are your pain points? And where do you think data science can help? Because normally they already have an idea and they normally know best. And then you can supplement them and say, okay, this is also what I've seen in my experience in other companies or in the field. And um, then I grab the low-hanging fruit. I, I've seen companies who were planning on building massive Hadoop clusters to do social media analysis, and um, they didn't even have um, an understanding of what data they have. They didn't have simple forecasting models. They and and you can say okay let's have a look at it let's what department are you in what is your job and how can we do that better and then look at all the use cases build a roadmap say where where do you see a big financial impact on getting it right where do you have a risk that is manageable where it's like getting it wrong it doesn't cost you too much because you're in the early phase and is it actually technically feasible okay. So then I should be looking at, um, so I need a roadmap for this, and I need it to come from a pain point from the business where they have a hunch that some data might actually help them make some better decisions. And I'm looking for um, places where there are repetitive processes or extremely complex processes or places where we can sort of manage the risk so that we can do some early experiments. Is that a fair summary? Yes, perfect, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so all the things, for example, if you have an hourly day um, forecasting or a daily forecasting, high frequency um, transaction, you do your scheduling every single morning. Um, you have, um, yeah, transport information or you have um, people coming into your country, immigration and, and things like that where you can easily say, I have lots and lots of decisions to make for detection and banks. Um, I have hundreds of thousands of transactions, and I'm looking for the few that are actually fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And looking at every single one would just be too much effort. Mm-hmm. Okay. I hear lots of companies talking about um, automating their screening process for hires where we get thousands of resumes coming in and we just want to look through for particular resumes and find, you know, make that process of recruiting people simpler. And I hear a lot of skepticism about that as well. Do you have any experience with it? Is that one of those places that you've seen be successful or not? 
I have worked on it. And, and to be honest, um, I am very skeptical about it as well. It's, um, people have a very unique language. The language between women is different to men. You're, you're running a high risk of being completely biased. And I see it myself when I, when I look at CVs. It's, I have a certain job description. I have a CV that might be similar but not correct. And there is maybe sometimes only 40% overlap. And you find but something triggers you in that CV. And something in that, um, I often see women describing them less aggressive, um, less amazing than men. And if you build um, a machine where you just have the CVs and um, how, how well they match, I've never seen it being very, very successful and accurate. I always saw it um, biased and um, taking certain groups, certain buzzwords that ticked everything, and actually that weren't in the end the best successful candidates. Okay. Because okay. there's more, a, 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 a human being is too unique. We're, we're more than a bunch of the right buzzwords. Right, and I can see how that's so dependent upon the language that somebody uses to describe their work and how closely that matches with the language that you have programmed into your scanning systems. I, I can see how that would not work. All right, so we've got two things that go wrong. One is we don't start with the business. Two is we don't have a three. We don't have a really clear strategy of what we're trying to achieve and where there's a good opportunity, what our purpose is. And then three, you have this notion about we need to look at processes. Where are the pain points and are we clear about what our goals are? Are there other things we need to be mindful of to not get wrong? Oh, there, there are many things to um, not get wrong. So um, on the people's side, often they forget um, that training is important. Often um, we're looking for the unicorn and say not seeing. Okay, there are actually many different roles. There, I think the biggest risk on the people side. I actually see that um, we are not um, having enough experienced people. People always say, "Oh no, we can't find enough juniors." For me, it's a problem of having experienced people who have hands-on experience of being a junior, of understanding where are the challenges when you're actually doing the work but also understanding the risk who had the best battle scars and have been down in the trenches. Okay. And when, um, because without that, you end up over-promising. You end up hiring people who are overconfident, and um, we don't know what we don't know. And then we say, okay, we're looking for a technical person who can do end-to-end, from engineering to visualization. And for me, that's different roles. Um, the other big thing on the people side is that you forget that we need people for the deployment. And also, when you in, when you look at your strategy and you're saying, okay, at the moment I'm actually just getting started. I'm I'm on the on the beginner side on my journey to data science and AI. I have a little bit of my my data is all over the place. I have to tidy it up. Um, and then I need to build a team that gets slowly started on the dashboard analytics side. And maybe in two years' time, I actually move into um, proper AI machine learning, becoming an innovator in the field and a leader in the field. Depending on where you are in your strategy, you need different skills. Mm-hmm. And if I hire the wrong people for the wrong task at the wrong time, they will not stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's what a lot of people are seeing. What I'm seeing clients doing is we hire a bunch of technical data science analytics mathematicians. We put them in an office all together with each other, a pod of them, and hope that somehow people tap into them to use them, or I don't know what magic is supposed to come out of that one. But we just don't have enough, as you said, that interface between the business needs, the business demands, the business opportunities with this team that actually knows how to do the analytics. And then as you said, the data is always all over the place. It's a mess. Yes. (laughs) And I remember talking to IT departments who said, we want to show business how to do their job, how to do business, and be better at that. Tell us, what is the secret? I was like, the secret is ask your business. Ask them for their pain and ask how to ha- you can support them and help them and go together. It's not about you beating them in their job. It's about building a team that is together and thrives together. Yeah, but then we have to learn to talk the same language, don't we? And that's kind of complicated. We- we will always, that is always a call. I think it's actually a problem in, 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 in human history that we have to find a way to communicate with each other, to respect each other, and to say, you bring this to the team and I bring this to the team. And um, finding a way of open communication and really appreciating that we are completely different, but we are able to leverage on each other's strengths to, to actually okay. reach a goal. And focus on reaching a beautiful goal together. Okay. All right. I have to ask you one more thing about this one on the people side, because there's also a lot of worry about teams that come and then they go, especially younger talent. Like I've hired a bunch of mathematically oriented, top of their school class, data scientists were ready to go, but they're only going to stay with me for two years, maybe two and a half years. And I'm on this long journey that's going to take me four years. How do we think about this flow in and out of talent? Do you have any advice on that? So for me, it's important that I understand what, um, especially my own team, why are they coming to work? Because my, my teams, are, I was always very lucky with the people that, that work for me. They're highly passionate. They, I don't have to, to, to supervise them and like, oh, you, you have to be there at 8 and no, you're not leaving before 5. Um, they, they love coming to work. And when they start to want to learn different skills, I have to find a way to, to bring that into the um, work environment. I need to say, okay, Maybe you need to have training. Maybe you need a different mentor. How can I make it best for you to stay? But also on, on the process side, it's important that if they leave, they, you don't lose the IP. Because when you, um, and that is one of the problems when I see people working with, with freeware, they have a little bit of data there and they have a little model there. And there is no collaboration tool that makes them all work together. And so when one of the data scientists leaves, then his work is somewhere on a on a server, somewhere in a folder, and nobody really knows where, and it's completely lost. And we have to be aware that there is always a risk of people leaving. There's always a risk of um, somebody deciding that they want to do something else in their life. And for for that, we have to be aware that how do we hand over the knowledge and make sure they work in a team where the, the rest of the team will understand what they did and that there's a t- transparency um, in working with each other. Mm-hmm. 
So it strikes me that this then takes a different, a whole new level of management rather than just hire a bunch of people, put them in a room and hope something comes out of it. Um, I've got to understand the person. I've got to understand why they're coming to work. I've got to understand what they want to learn. I've got to understand how to bring a team together, make sure they're all informed about each other's work so that IP isn't lost. It's a very different management task. Um, I think we are changing in the world we work with each other, yes. And I think we're working far more flexible, especially my team. We work across different projects. We work across different Con, um, continents, um, countries, locations. Um, sometimes they, half of the team goes to bed before the other one wakes up. Yeah. And so it, it is a big challenge and it's, it's a different environment to the old times where it was nine to five for everybody. And uh, you can't, because it takes an agile team to work with each other, you can't have people just sitting there by themselves anymore. That's a whole topic in and of it by itself. So, Maria, this sounds like a great place to take a break. And then when I come back, I want to continue this discussion because there are a couple more points I want to make sure we make about what goes wrong. And then we'll turn to some other do's and don'ts on this one. My guest today is Dr. Ava Maria Muller-Stuhler. She's currently Chief Data Scientist for IBM in the Middle East and Africa region. And she leads the Center of Excellence for Data Science, implementing lots of large-scale data science and AI and machine learning um, projects globally for a host of of industries across range of sectors. So we've been talking about what goes wrong. There's a lot in this winter process, but starting with the business strategy and the pain point and being joined with the business in terms of what the needs are all the way through to looking for reasonable opportunities and to thinking about how you motivate and maintain the people that are your data scientists. So we'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Dr. Ava Maria Muller-Stuhler, who's currently Chief Data Scientist at IBM in the Middle East and Africa region. Um, Ava Maria, as you've just seen, is a, is a passionate data scientist and machine learning person who's also passionate about mathematics as well. So we have been talking about what it takes to make an AI or machine learning or data science project work. And what I'm coming to the conclusion is, is how complicated this is. That it's not just as simple as saying, here's an opportunity, let's chase it. That I have to have this coming from the business. I need to understand where the pain points are. I have a whole motivation cycle to do with my data scientist. I have a communication process to do with my data scientist and the business people to make sure they understand it. I need some people who've got deep experience in the business world who can help us understand both what's happened in the trenches and sort of where some of the problems are. And I have to create an agile work environment. And I have to do something that makes sure that my data scientists are up to speed. So, Eva Maria, say a little bit more about the learning needs for data scientists. Data science is is very fast um, progressing at the time. And the topics are so many and the skills are so many. The the mathematical algorithms are developing very, very quickly. And um, it's it's similar to high-performing athletes. You can't just go and play one football game match after the other um, and always compete, 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 compete. There needs to be time in between where you can sit down, reflect, and think about what, what you're actually doing. It could be at the beginning of the project. It could be in between projects while you're scoping it and saying, hold on, isn't there a better way to do it? And you need training. You need um, colleagues who are actually smarter than you, at least in one of the fields, where you can bounce ideas back and forth. And um, where you can just give your brain and yourself a moment to breathe and, and think about it without building model, building model, building model. Okay. All right, so both keeping up with the field, staying current, because I'm a data scientist, that matters to me a lot. So making sure that we provide opportunities for a data scientist to keep up with the latest, but also just time to interact with colleagues to say, is there a better way? Is there a more efficient way? And time for my brain to relax. You can't do this day in and day out, you know, 14 hours a day and think that you're going to get much out of your data scientist. So talk to me a little bit about technology. Does the technology matter? It, it does. It does in, in a way. People always think it's technology first, and that is not true. But it does in a way, if I want to do, for example, real-time fraud detection, I have to make sure that I have access to a system that I can interact in a timely manner and that I can stop the transaction before it's gone through. So if I have to go to IT and ask for a report and it takes five signatures, and it takes two weeks until I get it, I will not catch a single foster. And and so technology has to be an enabler. It has to um, make the team happy and not cause another pain and frustration for them. Uh, but it's first of all, it's not the most important thing. 
Okay. I, I can't imagine we, some we, purchase. We or some... Start... Go ahead. Sorry, we don't start with the data and um, with the technology anymore. I remember often the conversation that um, where people say, okay, I have a data warehouse. What do I do with it? Uh, my data warehouse is not fast enough to do data science and, and, and comments like that. That is, um, these times are over. The question is, what is your business and how do you make it better? Wow. So this would imply that everybody who's leading a business needs to understand what data machine learning can do for them so that they're being smart about what business problems can I apply data and machine learning to that will make sure that we have better decisions, faster decisions, and fewer decisions to come back to what you said at the very beginning. I would like to say everyone who has a business needs to understand the processes and then they need to know who who, who to ask. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And so say, how does it actually make sense to, to do that? Um, what is the process in there where I can leverage on data science? So how do we begin to evaluate those? You know, when so let's say I am running an area of a business. And I think there's something that might be beneficial. How do I begin to think about the criteria that tells me that this thing is worth investing in a data-driven solution or a machine learning solution? So I would think about what is the um, the value that you create and what is the process. Is it a highly repetitive um, process? Is it some a decision you only make once a year? Is it a very complex decision? Is it, for example, like looking at the CVs or even a judge um, in court? Every decision they make considers so many different data points and is very, very unique that actually um, it's not something that um, you should use for forecasting the outcome. But if it's something that has a high, high turnover um, product, it's a high frequency, the, for example, weather um, transport and um, optimization of, of resources, of scheduling. Um, there's, a little, there's little risk of getting it wrong. I, do, I don't like to start with teams, and I recommend not to start um, when it's something they say, I have to restructure half of my processes in the company. It, it's very con- against how we normally do things. But when you say, okay, this is actually something that I find annoying. It's quite simple. It's um, like every every morning in my restaurant, I order the same food. And I, I know that when the sun is coming out, um, people eat more salad. But um, And when the rain is there, people eat more um, soup. Is there another way to actually use um, better information and other things to, to optimize that? Um, it, it's going to rain. I'm not going to sell more umbrellas. And how many umbrellas do I need to have in stock? And a lot of this inventory sales forecasting and so on are good places to start. Okay. Okay. So inventory and sales forecasting. So this is a place where I know the processes pretty well. And I can describe them. And it's a repetitive decision. It's one we do regularly with high frequency and often. And we think we can describe it, that it's simple enough that we think we can describe it, that that's the place to begin. Did I get that as a good summary? Yes, exactly. And then, and then you often see if your model is actually giving you something that is so counterintuitive. 
mm-hmm. it you, you can in, interact and you see the error coming up and you kind of be like, okay, this could be an error. It could be just an outliner for the first week. Um, and actually, in the end, it's, it is more um, accurate. Oh, it's actually really something that makes no sense. Okay. Okay. So that helps me analyze the nature of what has come out of the machine learning, for example, with whether it's this is something I want to really now focus on because it does seem to make a difference, or this is just one of those random things that isn't really truly relevant for what we've been doing. All right. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. But I think this is, I feel like an awful lot of clients are starting with processes that are very complex, that they're hoping somehow will make more money out of the complexity as opposed to this highly repetitive, incredibly well-known place where, you know, we could actually describe how we do that process on a regular basis. Okay, fair enough. So, And, and the problem with that is you normally, if you, if I've seen that, um, and I've seen it a few times, it seems I haven't, I don't have experience in working with each other. It's mm-hmm. um, a team that often doesn't really speak to business that much. And and then they start off with something that is actually very little impact and, and very, very complicated. And especially as a um, data science team or a data science center of excellence within your organization, start by showing value from as soon as you can, from month one. And the best way of showing value is actually getting your stakeholders and your um, business involved and them going like, actually, yes, that makes my life easier. I've always wanted to know this. I now have a far better clustering of um, my different locations. I know which one works together. I I know my um, where, where weather components have a stronger influence and a weaker influence, for example. And when you have something like that and the business goes like, wow, it's great to have these guys. It's easy to justify them. But if they spend two years developing something and then you have the team turnover and then it never gets into deployment and they they build a dashboard or something that is nice to look at and they go like, yeah, but it's not really there yet. Um, it's taking a lot of investment and um, they might just focus on the wrong task, and that just takes en- everybody's energy. And then mm-hmm. the, your data scientists will leave because they kind of feel like, I don't really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. A, I'm not developing my skills enough, and B, this is not fun. I'm not producing what I came here to produce. So if you were advising business leaders or a business group on what to do, what's your top three pieces of advice? I think the first most important one is, is actually really build a strategy. Um, have a clear plan on how to be successful. See, I'm here now. This is where I want to go. These are all the possible use cases. This is where I want to start. This is how I rank them. This is the skills that I need for that. And um, in that way, you already can get your stakeholders involved and so on. And they all go like, yeah, this guy has a clear vision and a clear plan. Why shouldn't we stand behind it and make it successful? And in that plan, don't forget your deployment. You don't just want to do six weeks POC or two years POC or somewhere in between. You want to build something that can then be deployed and monitored and retrained and so on. That cost as well. That co- and you need resources for that. 
I think that is my big number one. I don't have a collection of pet projects um, and, and do something here and there. Always, okay. always have a plan, always have a strategy. The, the second one is really invest in good people. Uh, don't get the, the cheapest, um, smartest kid without experience and put them in IT. Um, build a team of, of people with experience, juniors, and have team leaders where you can actually trust that they can lead the team because they've done it before. And they've had hands-on experience. They know what they, can, what they talk about. That way they can build a relationship with the team from junior to top, but they also have the clear vision and can lead it. Okay. And it's not just a blind flight. And um, last but not least, make sure you don't get it wrong. Um, because not being ethical and getting things wrong is really expensive. <laughs> there are more and more cases in the industry that you'll see um, a lot of them un- unknown. A few of them are actually known and published of companies that have gone, gotten it wrong. And when you get it wrong, you, you lose your... Um, you might just lose your revenue. If you end up, um, you can end up having really bad um, press. You can lose um, a lot of shareholder value and things like that. So um, it's when you plan your things, ask yourself: If I'm successful, is this something I want to be known for being successful? And there's a famous story about Target um, supermarket, and I think everyone in data science has already heard it because it's, I think, it's nearly ten years old. Okay. Older, um, where they were sending out um, advertising for pregnant women. And it's a pure number thing. If you send something like that to 10,000 teenagers, there will be one of them um, who's pregnant and doesn't know about it. And so the story was they were so successful in their forecasting that they actually forecast somebody who didn't know about it, and the father got really upset. And then they, afterwards, he was like, oh, my God, my daughter was really pregnant. And um, But that is, doesn't mean you were, you were good. You just sent it so, to so many that you actually hit it right. And um, that is not something you want to be known for. Think about, is it really a campaign I need to send to un- underage women? <laughs> and um, so... There, there are stories about um, having information in your data where you actually, when you send out letters to automate letters to your customers, where you insult them, where you have information that is not correct, and where you use input variables and, and data pools where they say, okay, you're clearly targeting certain groups. Um, and that's not worth it. It's not, there's a big value of being ethical, and um, the financial harm of doing it wrong is absolutely too high. So our AI models, and it's something we're working on worldwide, is to make sure they have to be human-centric. They have to be transparent, explainable, and fair. Okay. And, and the challenge in that is actually, what does it mean, human-centric? What does it mean, um, ethics? We're trying to develop global um, ethic guidelines, and there are lots of different bodies trying to work on it. Uh, but when you look at most of the organizations, they're very strong um, driven in, from, the, from the northern ha- um, hemisphere. But ethic is something that comes from our culture. So ethic in, in the U.S., in Europe, is something different than, for example, in my region, in South Africa, in, in the Middle East, 
in, in Asia. And, and we have to make sure that when we develop these guidelines, that we get everybody together um, on the tables. That's a re- that one strikes me as a really interesting one that when you start to look at what is considered acceptable in different continents and in different regions, you can get very different responses of what was an ethical or good practice, a reputable practice, I guess I should say, in one country versus another. And we often forget that, especially when we're driving it from a Western-centered country or from the U.S., or from just the Middle East and not looking in other places as well. I think that's a very important point about ethics. And, and we have a lot of systems where we found out that they don't work as well as women, uh, on women than on men. I have actually once, a long time ago, been sexually harassed, in my opinion, by a robot. The, the things the robot was saying to me was completely not appropriate. And um, even for that, we don't have a way to actually say, Sorry, I want I want to press legal claims against it or something. I want to hold somebody accountable for that. Um, so, so that is something we as a society have to think about and develop. Yeah. Because there will yeah. be more and more cases like that. How do we how do we make sure this is not happening? And the robot who actually tweeted me um, and was saying lots of he was basically t- um, telling completely inappropriate jokes. He was telling a. Um, a joke about sexually harassing women, and um, and the woman presenting it on um, on the conference was like, "Yeah, it's wonderful. We should like have it in schools because the kids could talk to him and ask him questions that they wouldn't dare to ask the teacher." And I was like, "I'm sorry, it, it's an it. It's a bit of plastic and and code. It's not a him." And I'm sure the kids would end up asking. It's question that they wouldn't dare to ask the teacher, and it would dare to ask give answers that no teacher would ever dare to give. (laughs) (laughs) We we really have to make sure that with the AI we're dealing with, um, it makes us living in a world that we want to live in, and um, and that makes it better and happier, and and not the opposite. Yeah, yeah. This is the stuff that makes headline newspaper stories or uh, headlines TV program stories where you just show the robot or the targeted communication and whatever the thinking was that went behind it is completely irrelevant in that moment of the headline. So being very careful to get the language right for different countries, for different cultures, for different genders, as well as making sure that it doesn't look like it was targeted for different groups in a way that was inappropriate and also that you're not just doing mass marketing where mass marketing is not necessarily what people want to be seeing. I can also imagine that being known for even a successful campaign targeting pregnant teenagers is not exactly what you want your headline stories to be about. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Evermore, this is a little bit of an unfair question, but can you give me an example of the use of AI or machine learning? We've got about three minutes to do this that you think is the best one you've seen. Just an exciting one. Ooh, one. I think, um, oh, I couldn't pick one. I think I'm, I'm absolutely thankful for all the good spam filters, um, all, all the um, national security algorithms, um, immigration. Um, all, they are actually, I can't pick one. I'm sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> I think it, it really depends on the industry you're working in. It, it really, um, I don't have a favorite one. I, I don't have, um, because there's something in, in every industry where I'd say, okay, in, in retail, um, store forecasting makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of them, one of the things that I really like, um, is, um, something our research lab did at IBM is understanding, um, stopping poaching in, in, um, in Africa. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to stop um, rhinos being being killed. And they realized that one of the best ways to actually stop that is not by looking at the rhinos, but actually looking at the animals around it. And by tagging the animals around it, they can then see, oh, my God, all the gazelles are running off. There must be something in that region. And with using algorithms like that, you can understand what's going on and you can forecast and predict where the people are moving, where the animals are moving, and protect the animals before anything bad happens to them. So I think that is a beautiful use case. That's fascinating. So and I think there's so many of these kind of problems that we see in business at any rate where the indicators are not the obvious thing we're looking at. The indicators are something else. And then collecting yeah. data on the indicators let us then predict where the problems are going to happen and then make interventions that really drive those problems. Fascinating. Yes, and, and, and exactly that is why I like – so I think it's a beautiful use case. But I also like that actually the use case is not built on the target. It's about the environment around it. Right, right. So it comes back to exactly where you started, that to make this data science or machine learning effective in your business, I have to actually start with a strategy of what I want and a process that I actually understand so that I have some clues about these other indicators that might be greater predictors than the immediate obvious thing. And when I get errors in the data I can or errors in the um, learning, I can look at it and say, oh, well, that error makes sense, or no, that error seems random. And it's tying it together with that logical, rational, makes sense for the business that I think is going to really deliver a substantial value from the data science and the machine learning. Yes, because in, in that use case, especially if you just focus on the, on the rhinos and, and didn't know anything about the animals around it, you would have never been successful. You would have never yeah. been that accurate. And right. we used to we used to joke um, in in teams and saying, actually, you know, the way to win when you when you illegally car racing at night on the streets, the way to win is not when you when your traffic light turns green and you accelerate. You look at the other traffic lights, and when the other traffic lights turn red, then you are a second in advance. Uh-huh. Okay. And I think that is something you can translate into data science quite often. You find right. out the signal Perfect. that wasn't that ob- obvious. And tune into that one. Well, Eva Maria, unfortunately, we're out of time. So my guest today is Dr. Eva Marie Muller-Stuhler, who's a chief data scientist at IBM in Middle East and Africa. Eva Maria, it's been fabulous talking to you. Thank you for being a guest. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.